In 2003, the newest movie on Luther came out. And I believe that the movie does a really great job portraying what was going on in Luther's mind, especially at the beginning scenes of this movie. He was going through incredible internal torture. And the scenes at the beginning show him just praying and crying out. And you see everybody sleeping, and he is still up, and he's praying. And there's this one part where he is kind of like in a little cell inside of the monastery, and he is crying. He's crunched down in a corner. And the father of this monastery comes to him, and he's asking him, what's going on? And he says, I want a God who is just. I want a God who is merciful, who loves me, and who I can love. I want to be saved. You see, during this time, the church taught that God was an angry God. And that they had to do all kinds of things in order to be saved. And so he believed this, and he was tortured by it. It got to the point where he would beat himself with whips in order to beat that sin out. And he says this after a while. I'm reading this from the Signs of the Times, the special edition on Martin Luther that was given out last week. He says, if ever a monk could gain heaven by his monkish works, I would certainly have been entitled to it. If it had continued much longer, I would have carried my self-denial even unto death. Have you ever been worried about being saved? Have you ever thought about it and wondered, am I going to be in heaven? Well, is it possible to have the assurance of salvation? Yes, and that's what the reformers taught, right? They told us it is by grace through faith in Christ that we are saved. But I am willing to bet that almost all of you have been around for a little while, have heard many different theories on salvation. I remember being a little girl and people teaching that unless you are perfect and you are part of those 144,000 and only those 144,000, you will not be saved. And so there are many of us, I am sure, that even though we have heard that it is by grace, have been worried about our salvation at some point, maybe more than just one time. Is it possible for us to make it to heaven? Is there such a thing as making it to heaven? Well, the, the medieval church thought that there definitely was. And they said that if a person died, or when they died, there were three places you could go to. You will either go to heaven, and that was if you had lived an amazingly perfect life, you were just pretty much a saint, then you would end up in heaven. But let's face it, the majority of us do not do that, and so they believe that there were very few who ended up in heaven. So then there was another category of those who ended up in hell because they rejected God. But the majority of people, they said, they went to the third place, to the purgatory. Purgatory was pretty much like hell. 
You burned and you went through some excruciating pain, but it was temporary. That was the hope. And there was something that you could do in order to either make your, make your time in purgatory longer or to make it shorter. These are some of the things you could do. Number one, you could arrange for a mass to be said over you when you were dead or over someone that has died. But in order to do that, you obviously had to pay for it, right? So you had to have a bunch of money and you would set up an endowment where a priest would then do this for you once you were dead. And so you had to pay for an altar or a chapel or something contributing to the priestly cause. That was one. Another one was you could go on a pilgrimage and view relics. And the more relics you viewed, the shorter your time in the purgatory was. Well, Frederick, the wise of Saxony, who was Martin Luther's prince, who later rescues Martin Luther when the church wants to kill him, and he, bring, he brings him, takes him, cap, kind of captures him, and puts him in a safe place. He had invested in more than 10,000 relics that people could, could come see, they could pay to go see. It included the bones of one of the children massacred by Herod, milk from the breast of the Virgin Mary, and straw from the stable where Christ was born. We know that none of those were real now, but they believe them. Albrecht of Brandenburg was another one who was well known for his collection of relics because it was so huge that it was believed that if you went to see this, you were saved from over 39 million years in the purgatory. But there was a third one, indulgences. You could buy an indulgence. It was kind of like a certificate that just said, all right, well, because you pay this much money, this is how many less years you'll have to do in the purgatory. At this time, the time of Luther, the church decided that they wanted to build the St. Peter's Basilica. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's a beautiful place. But in order to build it, they needed money. And so they said, okay, we're going to send people around who will collect this money, people who will sell indulgences. And for Germany, they hired a guy whose name was John Tetzel. And he was a criminal, but because he was good at what he did, they had him do this. Well, he promised people all kinds of things, and he said, if you come and you buy this indulgence for this money, at that moment, on the spot, when you die, you'll go straight to heaven. All you have to do is give me money right here. In the movie, in Luther's movie, there is a young lady. Her name is Anna, who has a daughter who's crippled. And you see throughout the movie, you see the mom carrying the daughter around because she couldn't walk. Well, when John Tetzel comes into town, she sees him and she's watching all this that's going on. And John Tetzel makes a point and goes straight to the mom and kind of touches her and the arm and just says, when your daughter, when it's time for her to go, don't you want her to be in heaven? Don't you want to know that for sure on the spot she's going to heaven? And he says, all you need to do is buy this indulgence because it will be your passport to the celestial paradise. And this young mother believes him 
And she goes and she takes everything that she has, the only money that she has to feed herself and her daughter, and she puts it in this collection. And then she gets this certificate, this paper, and she runs to Martin Luther and she says, look what I did for my daughter. And he looks at her and you can see that his face just drops. And then he takes her hand and he pulls out a coin out of his, his bag and he puts it in her, in her hand and then he closes her fingers on it and he says, this is just a piece of paper. Your salvation comes from Christ. Trust in Christ. Use this money to feed yourselves. Thankfully, by then, Martin Luther had learned something about salvation. How did that happen? Well, when he was beating himself and, and trying to pretty much kill himself because he was a sinful man and he wanted to be saved, no one really knew what to do. And then God impressed one of his friends, we know him as Staupitz, to come and tell Luther this. He said, instead of torturing yourself because of your sins, throw yourself into the Redeemer's arms. Trust in him, in the righteousness of his life, in the atonement of his death. The Son of God became man to give you the assurance of God's favor. Love him who first loved you. And thankfully, Martin Luther listened, and he started studying the Bible more, especially on the topic of salvation. And as he studied and studied and studied, one day he was sent to Rome. When he got to Rome, he went to the place where they sold indulgences, and he bought one for someone who had died. And the person told him that in order for this indulgence to work, you need to crawl on your knees up these stairs, it's known as the Pilate staircase, and once you get to the top, this indulgence will be good for that person, and they will go to heaven. And there was a ton of other people around doing the same thing. And he says that as he was doing this and crawling on his knees up the staircase, it was as if this voice like thunder just spoke to him. And it said, the just shall live by faith. And at that moment, he just shot up and he started looking around realizing, what am I doing? This is not what God's word says to do. And he kept studying and studying and studying. And that's why we now have the, the Reformation teachings of sola gratia and sola fide through Christ. By grace by faith. There are many, many passages in the Bible that we could go to to talk about this, but the one we will look at today is in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'll start with verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And it says, by grace, you have been saved. And then drop down to verse 8. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
Salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ Jesus. It is a free gift of God. So what is this grace? Well, in verse 7, it says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. And the riches of his grace are shown in what? In his kindness toward us in who? In Christ Jesus. I want you to turn to Romans now. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. So Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So once again, he repeats, we're justified. It's a free gift. And, it is, and his grace works through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Well, there's one word in this verse especially that really was what this debate was all about, the debate about grace. And in my version, it's the second word in this verse, in verse 24, being justified, the word justification. It's a word that we don't really use very much anymore. Well, the debate was that the medieval church said, all right, the word means to be made righteous. Well, how do they get this? Well, the word for it in Greek is dikaio, and the same counterpart in Hebrew is, comes from the word sadak, which those meanings come from the word for righteousness. So it is about righteousness. And the church said, all right, it is about being made righteous. And Martin Luther said, no, 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 that's not what it is. It's about being declared righteous. And you could say, well, does it really matter? I mean, whether you're made righteous, you're declared righteous, I mean, who cares really? Well, let me tell you that Martin Luther thought it mattered a lot. This is what he said. Whoever falls from the doctrine of justification, as in the belief that we're declared righteous, says, is ignorant of God and is an idolater. For once this doctrine is undermined, nothing more remains but sheer error, hypocrisy, wickedness, and idolatry, regardless of how great sanctity that appears on the outside. What is he saying? He's saying that no matter how good this looks, how holy it seems, because you're going to be made righteous, what it does is it taints the character of God. In fact, it makes us idolaters because we are worshiping false gods when we believe that. So who is right? What does the Bible say? Well, those words, dikaio and tzedakah, if you look them up throughout the Bible, you see that they are legal courtroom terms. This is what a judge used when he would declare someone not guilty. But the judge would say, okay, you're acquitted. You can go. Not guilty. You were declared just. So throughout the Bible, it is not used as being made just. It is used as being declared just. Now, why does it matter? Well, because if you say 
that it's about being made righteous, then how do you know when you have been made righteous enough that you can make it to heaven? Right? That was the whole point. So the church said, well, well, we have to have a way. We have to have a way to get people there because it is about being made righteous. And by the way, Dr. Dr. Davidson from the seminary says that the reason for why this, this whole debate was perpetuated because in the Latin Vulgate Bible, it was translated, justi- the word justify was translated by the word justificare, which means to make just. And so the people just kind of started saying, all right, well, then it means that it has to be about being made just, even though those were not the original meanings of those words. The church decided, all right, well, we have to make sure that people can get there. And they did it through something called the sacraments, religious acts, that the more of them that you did, the more grace of God you would have, and then you can make it to heaven. If you didn't get it, while you were on earth, well, then once you were in the purgatory, it could happen. You're, you, could, you could get completely justified still. And so they started saying, all right, well, what are these sacraments going to be? And someone came around and said, well, there's 12 of them, 12 of them that we need to do. A century later, someone else came and said, no, there's 30, 30 of them we need to do. Then in the 12th century, Peter Lombard said, Okay, we're going to keep it at seven. Seven sacraments. The first one, the first five are for everybody. So the first one is baptism, where you get baptized as a baby. The next one was confirmation, which was a special ceremony of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The third one was penance, confession. You'd go and confess your sins. and You had to do it a lot. Eucharist was the fourth one, which we know as the Lord's Supper. But they also included the belief of transubstantiation where the the bread and the wine really turned into the blood and the body of Christ. And then the fifth one was extreme unction, which was an anointing that was done on your deathbed. And then there were two more. And the two more, you could only have one or the other. One was matrimony, so if you got married, you would get that one. And the other one was orders or ordination. So if you're ordained as a priest, obviously you could not have the other one because you could not get married. Eventually, Martin Luther said, you know, out of all of those, there are only two that he said we should be doing. And that's baptism and the Lord's Supper. And he said the reason is because Jesus said to do them. Not because they will give us salvation. The reason why we have salvation, why we have the assurance of salvation, is Jesus Christ. Because he died on the cross for us. That's the redemption. Growing up, my dad always did this illustration that I absolutely love and it helped me to to understand what this really means. He would say, imagine that you are this piece of paper. And all the stuff that's written on it, that's your life. This is you. And 
Yep, I have done a lot of things in my life. When you die, your, your name is brought up in heaven. And Satan comes and says, you see all this? Everything on here, those are all the things that she has done. Things that she has not glorified you in. Times when she got angry at her husband. Times when she didn't want to ask for forgiveness. Times when she cheated in school. Times when she lied. There is no way you can let her in heaven. Look at all the things that she has done. And my dad would say, imagine that this Bible I'm holding is Jesus. Now what happens if I take this paper that has everything about you and I put it right in here and I close it? What do you see? Jesus. Because that's what Jesus does. Because when Satan accuses us in that way, Jesus comes and says, I know. I know that she's done all that. I know that she's not perfect, but she has confessed. She has chosen me as her savior. And she's not saved because of her righteousness, but because of mine. I wanna show you one more verse that just excites me. Go, let's go back to Ephesians chapter two. There's something in these passages that I never got and I never really saw it until someone pointed it out to me when I was in the seminary. And I'm, maybe some of you already know it, so you're way ahead of where I was because I did not see this until then. And I, wanna, I want you to look at verse six. It says, God raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What is this verse saying? A lot of us think that what this is pointing to is that one day we will be sitting with Jesus in heaven. But that's not the context of this passage. The context of this passage is that we can have the assurance of salvation now. And so what this verse says is that right now, right now, Jesus sees you. Jesus sees me as sitting with him, sitting next to him in heaven. Isn't that an amazing picture of God? This is who my God is, the God who loves me so much that he sees me as already being there. This is what theologians call already, but not yet, because we're not there physically. But we are there in God's mind. We belong to him, we are his children. If you are struggling with the feelings of not being worthy, not deserving to be in heaven. None of us deserve it. But I want you to remember the words of Staupitz, the words that he told Luther. Throw yourself into the Redeemer's arms. Trust in him, in the righteousness of his life, in the atonement of his death, the Son of God became man to give you the assurance of God's favor. Love him who first loved you. Let's pray. Lord God, 
Thank you for the assurance of salvation. Thank you that you already see us as being with you in heaven. We know that we don't deserve it. Thank you that all we need to do is say, Lord, please, just be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to live with you and for you. Thank you that your righteousness is enough because ours never can be. Help us to trust in you and to live it. To live as if we know that we are saved, that we belong to you, we are yours. I pray this in your name, amen.